This is Dialogue, a podcast series from American Mosaic. I travel around the country having conversations with uh, complete strangers, uh, people who I meet uh, in hotels, uh, coffee shops, uh, bars, uh, restaurants, uh, on the street. In this episode, I'm in uh, Detroit, Michigan, and uh, Detroit is a very interesting experience, uh, but that's a whole uh, another podcast just to talk about Detroit. But I was having uh, a late breakfast uh, in uh, a place in uh, kind of in a neighborhood uh, just on the edge of uh, downtown Detroit, and uh, I pulled up the counter, and it was a small counter, and there was about four stools, but a fellow sitting next to me, uh, a young uh, black man. Uh, was busy working on a computer and I struck up a conversation with him and it turns out that he was actually uh, doing work uh, with that particular restaurant and because I overheard him talking about payroll and employees and things like that. So I started talking to him about my project and what I was doing and we had a very good discussion and he agreed to have a conversation with me. Uh, His name is Andrew. Uh, He's uh, 24 and uh, a very interesting conversation, perhaps one of the better conversations that I've had recently. Good sound, bro. Good. All right. Let's start talking. Cool. First thing is, um, tell me your name, mm-hmm. um, kind of where we are, um, so we can kind of identify with... Yep. So, name is Andrew Scarborough. Um, where we are is Court Town. This is actually a revitalized hotel. It used to be, <laughs> famously, um, in the area, it used to be an hourly um, joint. So, <laughs> yeah, this people still um, came in here and like asked to rent the room by the hour when it got fixed up. We're in Detroit. Yes, we are in Detroit, yes. That's the important part. Yes. Um, and I guess, okay, so the conversation, it's just basically conversation, not uh-huh. just the questions. Yeah, absolutely. Like and uh, the thing I'm interested in, I'm interested in Detroit. I'm interested in uh, you know your perspective. I'm mm-hmm. interested in uh, where we are in the country today, mm-hmm. with everything that's going on, and uh, maybe you know how that impacts you, mm-hmm. uh, and anything that's going on related to Detroit. Yeah. Um, and it's um, yeah. Let's just start. Maybe, uh, yeah, give me a little, actually, you know, a little background. Okay. Why are you here? Why are you in Detroit? Um, I am in Detroit for, I've been here for about maybe seven to eight years. Um, I originally grew up in East Lansing, um, went to Vegas, came back to East Lansing area, moved to Detroit. Um, my dad just got offered a job here. Um, yeah, it was right on like the back end of the whole Kwame Kilpatrick thing. Um, then we moved to, well, he moved to Detroit first, and then we came after. But, yeah, he just got offered a job here. Um, he is, uh, he works at the People Mover. Um, so, yeah, that's the only reason we're here. Yeah. Dad got offered a job. I moved to my parents. <laughs> um, so, and then when you got here, what yeah. did It was very different than this. Um very, very much different. It's changed so much in the last couple of years. Um, just in the last eight years since I've been here, it's changed dramatically. Um, when we got here, it was a huge culture shock. Um, being a, Growing up in Lansing area, it's mostly you grew up around white America around, and 
that was a huge switch when we moved to Detroit. It was not, <laughs> it was not the same at all. <laughs> yeah. And tell me about that a little bit. Uh, so you get to see the dynamics between, well, the differences, I guess, between growing up in a predominantly white area opposed to growing up in Detroit. Um, the inner city and the way that it's lacking as far as food, deserts, anything like that, um, just places, just things, places and things that Detroiters have ac- don't have access to that we had readily available where I grew up. Um, so it was, it was a culture shock, for sure. Yeah, yeah, huge culture shock. I had somebody uh, tell me, I'm just somebody uh, told me, and uh, it was a black lady uh, the other day, mm-hmm. and she grew up in Detroit, mm-hmm. and we were just talking about, and she said, well, you know, there used to be, I don't remember exactly what it called it, but the line, she said, and, and you know, but that was... And that was, you know, the black was here, and then mm-hmm. anybody else was kind of over here. Mm-hmm. That was sort of the old Detroit. That was yeah. the way it always used to be. Yeah, the separating lines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't see those too, many, too much more anymore. Um, you see them, of course, because of just... It's not racism anymore in America that I've experienced. It's classism. Um, it's a huge, huge, huge part of American um, culture now is classism. It's not really racism. It's um, who you know, how you know them, um, how you carry yourself, how you walk, how you talk. Um, It's a whole part of what goes into the American culture now. Um, It's funny because black and gay culture influence pop culture, but it's not really deemed appropriate for everyday life. (laughs) So, like, if you're it's America. I feel right now is going through a little bit of a shift. We're trying to figure out who we are as just as far as when it comes to everything, not just politics. Is who we are when it comes to what do we believe in? As far as is it the same stamp in, in God we trust? Um, what is America? Who is it to the person, the individual? It's it's a it's eclectic. It's always been a melting pot, but now. For me, at least, I'm only 24, but you're seeing a lot of that starting to bubble to the surface with a lot of those questions. Um, who are we and what do we believe in? Yeah. What do you think about, um, we were talking about this a little earlier, but uh, your, uh, this divide, the us versus uh, you know them kind of mentality mm-hmm. and uh, sort of the politics of the day. Mm-hmm. And what do you think about that? I think it's interesting because there is an us versus them uh, when it comes to certain age brackets. <laughs> um, that is what I've found. Um, in my age group, it seems like there's a lot more people willing to talk and listen. Um, we don't really, the people that I'm around, we don't really feel a certain way about a certain thing, and it's just the way that we're going. It's like, that's the direction we're going in. We want to have dialogue there. Um, like I said, it's not much as racism in my case anymore. Um, I've not experienced too much racism, but it's always been that classism of what do you know? What do you know behind that? Are you educated enough to speak on these um, these problems, I guess one would say. Uh, that's always been the thing. Um, 
it's interesting because when growing up in Lansing, even though you may not, you may have been confronted with racism, it's so under the, <laughs> under the guy, like the lines of just everyday life there that you don't really notice it. So when you can't, when I come to a place like Detroit, it's just like, oh, there's black people that are just, you don't see them a lot in um, Lansing. They're here. Like, it's very evident where black people are. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it was just a little bit different. A little bit different. I found that interesting because uh, this is, you know, my first time here. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, in all the different places I've been, you know, and my observation is that, uh, you know, I don't know if it's uh, 50-50 or actually mm-hmm. if uh, the white people I see are maybe almost in a minority here. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So definitely um, whites are a little bit of a minority here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So largest um, black population per capita, I believe, um, in the U.S. Interesting. How about, um, okay, and so you've been here long enough to kind of just get, you know, sort of when things were really bad here mm-hmm. or if it wasn't at the bottom but close to the bottom mm-hmm. or, um, and so you know what was going on here you know it's, it's, it strikes me I'm driving around here and uh, even again you know today I'm driving and I'm, I see all these old factories and these mm-hmm. crumbling stuff infrastructure mm-hmm. and it's kind of like and then you see you know something crumbling and then two streets away there's something new being built mm-hmm. And it's such a contrast of things. Mm-hmm. But so was there a lot of white flight uh, here, you know, during the really you know, the bad times? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it was a lot of flight, period. Um, everyone left. Everyone left. Um, Detroit is one of the biggest cities in the U.S., but we don't have that many people. Um, the reason that a ton of people are able to come back now and you're looking at new Detroit, quote unquote, is because of the fact that we have room for it. Um, there's room. There's simply room. Like, there's no more room in L.A., no more room in San Francisco. <laughs> like, you can't go to those hubs of culture now and just set up shop easily. You can do that in Detroit. Um, there is a contrast as far as um, certain streets. You'll notice it street by street. It's a block-by-block block basis in Detroit. You can have this on one block, and then if you just go over further into Mexican town. It's very different. Um, so, yes, definitely a block, block, block scenario as far as that goes. Um, there was a ton of people that just decided to leave. Um, just going into Detroit's history, um, I haven't been here that long. I've, I moved here when the insurge of other people just started to move in as well. So, so yeah, um, I guess I, I'm definitely not a Detroit native, but I am, like, on the wings of that, hey, we there's opportunity here. Yeah. The lack of opportunity created an opportunity for a lot of people. Yeah. So we were talking about this divisiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and I think, you know, you, you mentioned something, and I think this is probably true. And, uh, we have, it's a, there's sort of an economic thing going on mm-hmm. here. It's, uh, you know, us versus them, but mm-hmm. it's uh, kind of the haves, the have-nots, and mm-hmm. um, maybe it's a class thing, and maybe mm-hmm. it doesn't make any difference uh, uh, what race you are or whatever. I mean, if you have, you have. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe if you don't, starting- you don't. What um, I've observed personally is 
there's a big gap between it's a growing gap I'll say that I think that's something that's important it's a growing gap it's a growing gap between the upper class and the middle class there's three parts of America upper class middle class and lower class there's a growing gap when that middle class comes in it's, it used to be China now has the largest um, one of the largest growing middle classes in the world America's is shrinking um, job markets are drying up we're not finding the same things that we Ford doesn't have a factory on every in every city in the Midwest now that's not what we're doing anymore factory jobs are going overseas um, so what you're finding is a deficit between like you said the half and the half knots where to get something it's becoming increasingly difficult um, to just maintain a certain lifestyle relatively easy relatively um, but there is a huge contrast between where not even the top 1% just people that are well off between where they are and where the bottom is um, the poverty threshold in this country is shameful if we're being honest like 15 I think it's $15,000 yearly is the poverty threshold come on <laughs> come on you're you're like you're not just impoverished you're bad off if you're making 15 less than 15 or $15,000 a year it's, it's hard to live um, how wouldn't you turn to alternative methods of making money that may be legal or illegal um, if you're making that much time that much money um, what I'm finding is my company FTH from the heavens we've done we've tried to start um, to do work lately um, we have a mission statement that is just simple to be a test as far as a cure for poverty we want to figure out how it works and what contributes to it um, but simple is just jobs is one of the things if people don't have jobs to provide for their family and well-paying jobs then they can't really participate in the economy um, so what we're doing is we're trying to we went to um, subdivisions and we looked around the two things that we noticed that were in subdivisions that weren't in inner cities were food readily available food um, restaurants and just um, entertainment there's movie theaters in the suburbs there's malls in the suburbs there is shop any type of shopping that you can fathom there's this out there you can there's escape rooms there's like mini golf there's tons of stuff that inner cities don't have and so you deal with the climate of a lack of and then a lack of outlets for anything else so say you did bring a movie theater to the east side of Detroit where it's mostly inner city kids they can't afford to go to the movie theater maybe so of course there's it's just a, a toss up of almost like you said the half and the half knots it's it's discovering where the in-between is and how do we get a person from point A to point B. How much is, uh, okay, and you know, and always, in anything, uh, education always sort of comes into play mm -hmm. someplace. Mm -hmm. that. Absolutely. Um, what, what's going on with education here? Um, as far as education, I was not educated in the Detroit school system. Um, 
but from what I hear, or at least from what I saw when my sisters um, did attend the Detroit public schools, is not the best. Um, it's really not the best. But education, I also feel like education is such a broad description. Um, if we're talking about the schooling system, it's failing. If we're talking about education as a whole, people have more access to education than they ever have had before in the history of mankind. You have a computer in your pocket. You don't really have an excuse to not be educated on the issues that you face. So it depends. Um, There's subsidizing. There's tons of government subsidizing when it comes to education, when it comes to making sure people in um, certain tax brackets have access to things like internet. But when it comes up to self-motivation is a lot of the things. Um, There was a, I forget what time period it was, but one um, U.S. president, or it may have been Congress that said um, to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and MLK um, combated that with these people don't have bootstraps. I mean, they don't even have the laces. (laughs) It was like, they don't have boots. So it's in that it's in that arena now it's in, as far as it was then as well um, you're trying to figure out how to build on a community that has no building blocks um, and so when you're, it's not even just the African American community, it's, it's the community as a whole that is lacking in certain building blocks you, that you do not have access to readily available through your schools or anything like that but like I said, it's no excuse when it comes to personal development. You can always personally um, go further if you have that will. But the education system, as far as schooling, is no, 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 no. About um, okay, you know, we got the politics of today. Yeah, uh, we got a lot of a lot of things. Um, something we were talking earlier about, mm-hmm. and I think this is important. Uh, is uh, you know, I told you 2016 for me was kind of what sort of launched this project. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a wiggle call for a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people. Talk to me about that a little bit. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people just woke up. Well, not even woke up. They fell asleep that night that Trump got elected, and they woke up to a new America. <laughs> I really, I really think a lot of people were. Um, fascinated with the and enamored by who Barack Obama was and is. Um, he's a came in as a forty year old charismatic black man. <laughs> he's like, oh, this is <laughs> unheard of in politics. Um, but when Trump came in and he came in um, giving his speeches that he gave, where he gave little to no information about anything, just used certain words that he knew would galvanize certain people. Um, Trump is an amazing leader when it comes to certain things because of the fact that he just plays a dangerous game. He plays a very, very dangerous game <laughs> of who can we get on our side and who can we get upset today. So when it comes in terms of people having that wake-up call, that, wait a minute, maybe America is not where we thought it was, they should have been having that when... There was an Eric Gardner, uh, like, being splashed across the news. This isn't... I said to my friend in a joking way that um, I wonder if people will ever stop thinking that they matter 
Um, and the reason being is because when you look at the simple economics of the world um, and how it's been set up for a while, I don't matter too much. If when it comes to any someone else sitting at my counterpart, they may not matter too much. Um, one person can start a change, but one person can effectively carry out that change. It has to be multiple people across a platform that have one goal in mind that eventually brings forth change. And not only that, you have to think about the economics of change itself. Um, Barack Obama's slogan um, was, I believe, change. It was like a part of it. But to go behind the catalyst for that change, there had to be so much that had to come of it. There needed to be people in the local community stepping up, becoming parts of government. There had to be, your, I mean, your teacher, your, your garbage man, whoever, these people that are part of your community, they had to change their behavior to make America a more sustainable place. Trump is doing the same thing. He's saying, make America great again. He's saying he's trying to galvanize people into saying, make something great, like change it, make it better. Um, the only thing that I've been very, very confused about with the whole current administration is what are we affecting? What are we really, really changing? Because if you're asking me, the media has become more outraged. <laughs> if it, like that, we're changing that. Um, mainstream media has become very, very outraged with what's going on. Um, it seems like um, white America woke up to what was happening. Um, that just that feeling of being disenfranchised that I don't think white America is used to. <laughs> um, that definitely woke up the night of the 2016 elections. Um, it's just like, wow. I think a lot of people woke up in their bed that morning and it was like, wow, Trump is the president and I feel like my vote doesn't matter. And I don't think that white America as a whole has ever had to deal with that. Interesting. Good point. You know, it's um, uh, the, and speaking of voting too, you know, it was interesting too that uh, a lot of people did not vote. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they didn't vote because they didn't have a candidate. <laughs> like Hillary Clinton, the no one wanted her as the, on the dim ticket. If we're being honest, a lot of people did not want her on the dim ticket. Um, a lot of people were supportive of Bernie Sanders. They didn't get their candidate. The people, and I don't think the people in the 2016 election felt like they had a voice. Yeah, and that's what I mean by white America feeling disenfranchised and that. It's interesting to me that, uh, you know, okay, so uh, by not voting, um, you're actually uh, voting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I guess maybe that's going back to part of a wake-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That people didn't turn out to polls, like to to cast their their ballots, and the fact that you did or didn't vote, like you said, is a vote. And you could see it in the people that were at election boxes. You saw the people that came out. <laughs> like you saw the people that were galvanized. Well, depending on what part of the country you went, you were in. Uh, you saw certain people that were gearing up to put who is in office in office now. Um, and I think it's interesting because I don't think we paid enough attention 
because of the fact that we were pacified. And I think America as a whole is being pacified right now. We're not being told how bad things are when it comes to long-term growth, when it comes to long-term economics. We want a short fix and a quick fix, but it just doesn't, it doesn't bode well in the long run. But, um, you know, our values today and things, there's something that about, uh, well, let's say that uh, the current leader, mm-hmm. uh, we've got uh, things that are being said, things that are being, uh, you know, how, language, bullying, mm-hmm. stuff, all the kind of mm-hmm. stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I guess leaders, uh, you know, we, we look to leaders for certain kinds of things. And I mean, I don't care what, what the leader is. I mean, if you call, if you would have said, JFK was a great president. Yeah. Or, okay, Martin Luther King was a great leader. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, these are people uh, that, uh, I guess, were thoughtful. They were leaders. Uh, mm-hmm. What's going on today? Um, my book for the month is Where Have All the Leaders Gone? <laughs> it's actually a fu- funny coincidence. Um I think that leadership lately in America is lacking, but only because the the lack of will. Um, I think people are starting not only to wake up to what America is lacking, but also what America has <clears throat> to offer. Um, anyone in leadership will tell you leadership is hard. Anyone that actually understands leadership will tell you that you should run for the hills. <laughs> um, if you believe and understand understand how leadership works, you bear the brunt of everything. That's what, well, with, a resp- with a responsible leader, um, with a good leader, you bear the brunt of what happens. Even though I may not be directly involved or directly responsible for what happens, it is in turn my responsibility to oversee what happens so if something goes wrong the person that should be talked to is the leader I think that in politics today and in politics since I've been interested in politics which maybe since I've been since I've been 15, 16 is we're seeing the glorification of it almost instead of the harsh reality of these men and women are making decisions that affect your everyday life and if they don't affect your everyday life they affect someone's um, I don't think that people are actually thinking about well at least in my generation that war is decided by men and women in these conference rooms your local politicians your state um, representatives your US presidents they are deciding what's happening in your life on a day-to-day basis in the long run. So the wake-up that happened with the 2016 election was really something that I personally found interesting because it was the way that minorities were feeling for years. (laughs) Um, Minorities felt disenfranchised. Minorities felt ignored. Minorities felt like their votes didn't matter. And it took someone almost like Trump to shake that up. Now, I don't know if he'll do a second term. Hopefully not, but it's something that definitely, definitely, definitely woke the country up in a certain way. I just hope it's not easily forgotten. There's, um, yeah. How about uh, young people? Mm-hmm. Go back to, uh, I think there's going to be, uh, 
you know, your generation, and perhaps less, you know, and, and, and young, a little bit younger than mm-hmm. you. Uh, some people that are going to be voting for the first time. Uh, mm-hmm. do, do you think? Do you think there's a kind of an awareness now, or a sense of uh, getting involved? I mean, and I say that because of uh, you know a lot of things. I mean, a lot of things. You know, look at all the shootings. You mm-hmm. know, now. Yeah, and I guess it's, I suppose if you've been in a black community or stuff like that, or you've been in some kind of impoverished neighborhoods or stuff mm-hmm. like that, well, you know, there's been violence, and, and you know that mm-hmm. sometimes that's a way of life. But all of a sudden, we've got you know kind of in these whoa unexpected places, mm-hmm. you know, in high schools. Yeah. And, uh, um, there's there, to me, there's a sense that maybe something's going to happen with young people. Tell me about what do you think. Um, have you ever read about the French Revolution? <laughs> um, it's, I don't, I don't encourage violence, nor do I participate in it, but I think that sometimes, and governments ask for it, um, I think people are very, very angry as a whole. When people aren't happy, when they're not fed, when they're not doing things that fulfill them as people, they get angry. It happens. There's it's mass ang- anger in the country right now. If you just turn on the news, everyone's mad. <laughs> like, either you're mad because Trump is president or you're mad because he's not. Um, gonna be maybe he may not be president in the next election. Um, you're mad because teachers can carry concealed weapons now or they can't. Uh, there's so many things that have part that have participated in the destruction of. I would say a mindset in this country that people are becoming more and more angry. Um, I don't think the youth of America is believing any of it as far as where the country is going. Um, I think that is a huge distrust amongst the youth of America. We're not very trusting of politics of the politicians you when you see gun uh, when you see gun control rallies and 16 year old kids getting up and yelling at the top of their young lungs we need gun control it does not send even though it does send a message to congress it does not send the message to another 16 year old that people care about you um even if you look at the places where young people coexist twitter facebook um instagram these hubs if you look at certain timelines, they're not showing you, or in, I mean, but also it's on what you follow. But a lot of young people in America aren't happy with what's going on, or not. And then there's a sense of hopelessness as well. Um, if you look, I'll talk about the black community for sure. Um, the black community in Detroit, there's a sense of hopelessness. When you're growing up next to an abandoned house, that's dilapidated and it's there's no life in your community you don't look further past that so exposure is a huge part of something that a lot of people in America have never been exposed to anything besides their community and if you're living in the suburbs some of the stuff that I may say to you if you just grew up there you went to school there that's the only thing you know some of the things that I say or some of the things that other people say may sound very, it's going to sound strange. They say, oh, 
Dick's Sporting Goods is always open. We don't have that, those problems here. We're kayaking every weekend. <laughs> but, I mean, the truth is there's problems going on and people may not even know about them. And I think the young people of America are kind of distrusting. That makes me think of media. And uh, there, there's a couple of things on that. Is like I'm always interested in, in where people get their information. Mm-hmm. And um, when you have somebody at the very top over and over and over and over mm-hmm. saying fake news, fake news, mm-hmm. fake news, and that particular person is, a, is perpetrating fake news mm-hmm. uh, and probably has a hard time understanding the truth and, and doesn't make any difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but if people start to distrust even media, mm-hmm. like all media, just painted with the same mm-hmm. that kind of feeds into what you're just talking yeah. about. Mm-hmm. What do you think about uh, this, this whole idea of media today? And I guess there's kind of gets to free speech and mm-hmm. What do you think about those things? Um, I think that media in this country has taken a turn that I did not see until the 2016 election. Um, It took a turn. I've never seen media go on defense, (laughs) which is strange, like, to actually see the American um, media. I've seen it abroad. We've seen it abroad. but I've never seen American media go on defense, defending its credibility, defending the fact that they tell the truth, defending Anderson, Anderson Cooper listing his credentials on live television <laughs> in combatance with a tweet that a U.S. president sent out. These are weird times. <laughs> like, it's not... It's, um, it's funny because I heard... Um, it was... I forget who it was, but it was, uh, someone said it is... Um, Strange. They didn't say it was strange times. They said it was um, destructive times we were in. I forget. I was watching um, something on YouTube the other day, and it, that quote stuck out to me. But I feel like it's very, very strange times that we live in. You would never hear about a, a journalist that is as accomplished as Anderson Cooper giving his credentials on television to combat a tweet that a presidential candidate at the time, like, I think that was at the time, but now the president of the United States of America, he's combating those things. And it's just like, it's almost, I think that in my opinion, sometimes I feel as if the attack on media is funny to a certain extent, because this is the same media that went after Barack Obama for wearing a tan suit. (laughs) Like, a sitting president wore a tan suit, and that was the only thing they had to talk about at the time. They're in a frenzy now because they can't keep up <laughs> with the things that they have to talk about now. Yeah, and maybe it's the uh, the fact that the the president is is not really a president. He's a reality TV guy, mm-hmm. and uh, he's. Uh, He's a he's a grifter, a mm-hmm. successful grifter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a, he's like a successful crook, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, he, and he he knows how to yeah. He knows how to work the media. Mm-hmm. He knows how to work people. Mm-hmm. He knows uh, you know how he can get away with not. He knows he's works on the fine line of the law. Yeah. Now he's in the fine line of tap dancing in the gray yeah. area. <laughs> yeah, and and now he's he's got that figured out in government now. Mm-hmm. 
and he just flat out says no. I mean, uh, just something. Uh, and he doesn't worry about the legal consequences. But I guess um, going back to when I hear somebody say to me, wow, I just don't believe anything that the media says now. Well, that's just cutting yourself off from mm-hmm. any. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah, because it's full. It's in my opinion, it's foolish to get all your news from one source. They're all reporting on the same thing. Flip the channel. It's different outlooks. It's different perspectives. Everyone knows Fox is like <laughs> they are who they are. Everyone knows CNN who like they are who they are. Um, I think it's comical in a certain sense on where America is. Like if you look at comedians like Dave Chappelle, Kevin Hart. Um, just any comedian that is touched on politics briefly it's it's comical it's america has been pushed into a corner of unreliability <laughs> like our dollar isn't that reliable anymore we're like we're not who we used to be and i think that the problem comes in when you're looking at the generation gap even when baby boomers and their generation right below them, their children, were seeing America as this great place. And then you go back to those same that same generation, maybe, and you look at the black community, they never saw America as this great place. Um, so it's a, it's a contrast between where America was and where it is. We're right in the middle of it. Um, it's a very historical time as far as what people are doing now to combat what their sitting president is doing. The fact that even if you look at an issue on climate change, when 70% of the industry in America has already vowed to take on climate change through their practices, auto is a very, uh, it's, uh, um, what is it? It's a shoe store. It's in almost every mall in America. They no longer carry bags. Their shoes um, boxes come with handles now. When you're looking at just the blatant, almost disrespect of the U.S. presidency, um, it was a tinge of it there when Obama was president. It was like, uh, and it started off with Bush. Bush was like the joke (laughs) that really ushered in a lot of stuff. Um, When you look at how he financed the war and the debt that we're still paying off from searching for WMDs, which could have been anything at that point. You can't tell me that Saudi Arabia has a WMD or Iran has a WMD, but this kid with a um, uh, gun in his backpack doesn't have the same thing. So, I mean, we spent billions of dollars fighting, trillions, to fighting the war, (laughs) but that same money wasn't put into infrastructure. That same money wasn't put into education. Um, that same money was not put into healthcare. And so you're one, now people are wondering why we are where we are. Look at the domino effect that's happening. And the next domino effect, I believe, is student loans. You're telling all these kids to go to college. You're telling them to get a, an education, do A, B, and C. For what jobs? I don't know if you've been on Indeed lately or any of the job searching sites, but they're not many. There's not many jobs out there. 
and to have an entry-level job, they want you to have a four-year degree that costs you $80,000 to get at a university. Pardon my language, but fuck off. <laughs> like, come on. Like, seriously? 80, 80 grand, 80 and upwards I paid to get a college degree. Not me personally. I didn't go to school. But 80 and up, some people paid to get a college degree. And it's for an entry-level job making 30 a year. That makes no sense. Yeah. Um, okay, that brings us to, you know, young people, the future, um, kind of where we're going. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea we were talking earlier mm-hmm. about, all right, so, you know, maybe we're in a cycle and whatever, we're going through a change. And this isn't something that's just going to be, uh, you know, one presidential cycle. This is going to be maybe the next 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. It could even be 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, there's a lot of different things. Interesting, you mentioned the uh, French Revolution. And, uh, I had a very interesting conversation with an immigrant, really bright uh, fellow from uh, India, uh, mm-hmm. who was recruited to come work in tech. Great student at the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> he had some very interesting things to say about yeah. you know, uh, comparisons. Um, but so. Where do you think we're going to go? What, what do you think? Uh, uh, what are young people thinking about about their future, about uh, about the country, and about the, and globally? Um, because we have to be. If some people aren't thinking, some people are thinking. Mm-hmm. Some people are concerned. Uh, what, what are people thinking? Yeah, absolutely. About? I would say I can't speak to everyone um, and what they believe. I personally believe that a big, big part of everyday life is local government. um, I think if you are a student of politics, you know that. Local elections decide primaries. They decide generals. So if you're not tuned into local elections, if you're not paying attention to things on the local um, arena on what's going on, then the presidential election doesn't really concern you. You haven't done your due diligence. So I think for me personally, I've started to make my shift to figuring out and caring about what's happening locally. Um, It's not even in a selfish way. It's in a way of saying if if we're all coming together locally, then we can give demands to larger government. If the state of Michigan isn't, on, on all on one page. How are we going to take anything to Congress? <laughs> like, like is then we just have a congressman or a congresswoman that's doing whatever they want to do. Um, a house divided can't stand. So the thing that I think me me and my agenda has always been to connect locally with people that have similar agendas to myself. And I've always been a proponent of being able to sit down with people that have nothing in common with me and being able to talk to them to reach a consensus. Like, if you can't sit down with someone that has nothing in common with you, let's use across the aisle and just figure out something, you have no business really doing anything. There's nothing that you have business doing. If you can only run with people that are like-minded to you, probably should get out of any career you choose. (laughs) Um, There's always going to be opposition. So I think and the people that I know, the people that I talk to, our goal is always, as well as right now, has been to 
buckle down on what's going on around us. We know that downtown Detroit is coming back, but the communities aren't. Um, East English Village came back. Gross Point is doing well. There's a couple like portions of Detroit that are doing well, but there are still people hurting and that need help in these communities. And if we can get them help they need, then maybe we can educate them on what to do when you graduate high school and you have an open house or what to do when you graduate any um, college and people give you money. When your family members give you money, there's, there's no financial responsibility that young people are being taught right now in schools. And so it's comical almost to tell someone to go get a four-year degree for an entry-level job or then to go get their master's and their master's to to do what there's nothing out there's not a lot out there to do right now right that's okay so you know that's the job thing and you know part seemed to me that part of people wanting change uh, you know going back to the election change mm-hmm. almost at any cost and, and everybody wanted change even mm-hmm. young people old people yep. but you know there was a lot of jobs that went away the factory jobs and so on and Detroit's a great I mean great example yep. of you know Detroit and I was in Flint and okay these are places that used to I mean they were prosperous all those those jobs went away and and I think some people kind of think that when they America Great was like, oh, we're going to bring back these jobs. Mm-hmm. Those jobs are gone. They're never. They're gone. They only. Yeah. We we're not even the same titans of industry that we once were. China is. That's them. They do that now. <laughs> we sh- America should let go of it because we don't do it. But what America does do well is we're we're amazing at being the underdog. We always have been. <laughs> Historically, we've been amazing at being the underdog. America is still leading in um, conversion from, as far as um, seeking out greener energy options. We're still ahead of the curve on certain things. I think the problem is when you don't have leadership that'll just steer the ship in a way that it should go. That's it. Then that's what I think we're all fighting over now, and it's becoming saddening because if we keep fighting too long then the whole ship is going to crash and burn but we're fighting over who's steering the ship and where they're taking it and it seems like the smart option is to take the ship where the rest of the world is going but for some reason it seems like the current administration is taking is steering the ship in the opposite direction saying nationalism 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 (laughs) we are america we are great all by ourselves and stranding us on an island yeah, that's interesting, too, and it makes me think of a couple things. One is, uh, I, I guess, if, if the president goes to his rallies, and he goes to certain rallies because he likes a good audience, mm-hmm. that makes him feel good. And he's got a lot of people behind him chanting things. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sense is these are people that uh, aren't thinking a great deal, but they, they sort of do want, uh, you know, I think they probably want a white America. Mm-hmm. They want those factory jobs back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they have certain ideas, um, but that's sort of maybe a small voice, but it's a loud voice. Mm-hmm. And but maybe we're going to get to that point where are we going to have this mutiny? In other words, if 
if the crew and if the captain and, 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 and the, all the officers on the ship, mm -hmm. maybe maybe the, all the people on the ship are going to say, wait a minute, we're going to take over. Mm -hmm. I mean, are we getting to some kind of a flashpoint on something you think that's going to be... I don't think we're getting there yet. Um, I think it would take another maybe 20 years to get there, honestly, just to be totally honest. I don't think people are that mad right now. I think they're mad, but I don't think they're that mad. Um, I think that we're getting to a point that's if in the next election, in the next two elections, I'll say that if we turn the ship around, we'll be fine. I really think America would be fine if that's the case. If that we smarten up and realize that what's been going on is not okay, what happened when Donald Trump got back into got into office was revenge on a certain level with certain people in politics. You have to understand that where America is now is not unredeemable. We're fine if we want to be <laughs> um, but I don't know if I don't know if we want to be right now I really don't I really don't and it also goes back we were talking a little bit to, but, uh, I, you know we were talking about uh, divides and there's uh, mm -hmm. there's certainly there's a financial divide but I think there's a social divide yes uh, you know okay this is the financial social thing but then let's get to the generational divide mm -hmm. and I think that might even be bigger, mm -hmm. becoming, we're kind of becoming aware of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, if one part, if in effect, we've got a bunch of, let's put it this way, there's a bunch of old white guys uh -huh. running the country, uh -huh. and then some of them, you know, I'm not sure what's holding them up. Yeah. <laughs> like, how are you guys even still yeah, I think alive? the only thing that's holding them up is all the money they're yeah. getting from the, the special interest, yeah. you know, yeah. that, and I think that's propping them up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure where that money's stuck, but yeah. I don't know, but yeah. anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's going to, somehow or another, something's going to happen there. Uh, something's going to give. Something would have to give. I think the funny thing about that is, though, is that when you look at that generational gap, you're looking also into a moral gap. Um, where are America's morals right now as far as what we believe in as a country? It used to be very, very clear. Very clear. It's muddy right now. Um, homosexual, homosexuality used to be considered a mental illness. It's no longer. Um, there are some people that feel certain ways that are in power that were around when that was a mental illness. <laughs> there are certain people that are in power that were around when African Americans were treated like second-class citizens. So you have to be very, very honest about the moral compass that people think America had at one time. America had a moral compass if you were white. <laughs> if you were white and well-off, you had a moral compass. But for anyone else, we've been throwing children in cages, <laughs> separating people from their parents. Um, this is not new. This is... It's almost, I won't even say covered, I'll say advertised now. Now it's advertised. It's, uh, it's, hey, we're the, like, look at what he's doing. Let's get someone else better in there that we can just quiet all this stuff back down and push it below the surface where it was. But I don't think that's going to happen 
quite so easily anymore. Um, people are starting to ask questions. Um, I think people in my generation are very, very inquisitive on actually what's going on. Um, it's always been that if you're there, America's always had a caste system similar to India or other um, brown nations across the world. We just are hush hush about it. Um, if your father was well off, you're expected to do well off. If your father wasn't, you get a pass. Um, whenever someone came from the bottom, supposedly, and rose to the top, it's a shock still. It's not something that's like, oh, yeah, this, is, this happens. No, 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 it's still always a shock in America. So I think that's, that's something that is very interesting to me, <laughs> is that the America that a lot of people are living in is... I'll say the America that white America is living in now is the America that a lot of minorities have been living in for years. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. It, I will say this. It is a shame that in this country, PETA is one of the largest corporations when it comes to animal act, um, activists, like being animal. And these people are crying, weeping over animals, throwing, like, in the 80s and 90s, the whole thing of, like, throwing paint on people that wore fur. But it seems like we're numb when people are dying and being gunned down in schools. Or I had a conversation with one of my friends, and they were saying that when their wife passed away, um, people were saying, like, oh, we're so, so sorry that Mary passed away for this person. We're sorry because this person is no longer here. But what about the people they left behind? But when it comes to that divide between how we feel about animals, per se, and how we feel about people, there's this huge disconnect. Like, oh, it's defenseless. It's, it's this, that, and the other. It's like, people make mistakes. We're bad. Like, we're bad people. We're good people. Um... I forget who said it, but it's a quote, and it says, everyone is someone's angel and everyone's someone's demon. You're two halves of the same coin that live inside of your body. You can be horrible. You can be amazing. There's, where there's, I say this all the time, there's no such thing as great um, men, only great ideals. You're not a great person. You may have a great thought or do a great action, but you're not a good person at the end of the day. You're, you're a good and a bad person. There's, they live hand in hand. So the thing is, moral compass is like, where, where did we go with that? Where did we, because at the same time, like you said, these good Christian values that supported and were the bedrock of America are so divisive because now people are saying, this isn't a mental illness to feel how I feel anymore. If I'm in love with a man or if I'm in love with a woman, it shouldn't matter. And you're coming and you're saying Christians, Christianity was taught to slaves. <laughs> like, how do you rationalize being a slave owner and coming over to a, and buying slaves and bringing them back to your country and all the while singing them songs about this great Jesus. <laughs> That's like their salvation. Like, how do you rationalize that? Um, and how do you, like, rape and pillage and rationalize that? How do you go to church every Sunday or even set up a church house 
with four slaves. <laughs> like, how do you do that? And still, like, oh, no, 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 this is good. So I think America's moral compass has always been a little finicky. Everyone's moral compass is a little finicky because you're two sides of a coin. Yeah, most of the time we lean towards what feels good. And I think that's what's happening in the youth of America today. They're doing the same thing that everyone else has always done. They're just doing it in a different way. They're leaning towards what feels good. They're saying, oh, no, 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 no. This all should be fine, but cigarettes and vaping is horrible. <laughs> like, this all should be fine. Like, we should be able to do any drug that we want to do at parties. That's that's just partying, but don't ever light up a cigarette in front of me or we'll, like, we'll, we'll take to the streets. <laughs> like, so it's, it's like I've been to multiple college parties and there's people doing everything under the sun there but also don't throw that um cup on the ground <laughs> that's littering <laughs> it's like so it's a it's a the diaspora of the whole economy the diaspora of the world is in this this weird it's like trying to find a balance it's been doing it since the beginning of time I, like it's just trying to find a balance between where we are and where we aren't and I think that the only time that things have been really, really good is depending on whose eyes you're telling it through. If you're looking at the 1950s, 1940s, it's great to be white. <laughs> it was. If you're looking at the 2000s, it's really, really nice to be a minority. <laughs> like, it depends on who's telling the story. <laughs> like, um, we have more pop culture. Uh, we're in charge of more pop culture than ever before. It's all, it's our face now on the coin. Elvis was always like shucking and jiving, but now it's a black man that he stole it. Like the black man that or woman that he took it from, she's up front now. So like it just depends on who's telling the story. Um, I'm not a cynic. I think I'm a realist when it comes to certain things. It's just like, are things gonna get better? Hopefully. Just let's try to carve out your slice of happiness while he can. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's where I'm at with it. Good. Well, I was going to ask you if you're optimistic, and I think you kind of just told me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm not optimistic, but I honestly wouldn't say I am either. I don't know. Um, I think that comes with growth is to be able to say you don't know. I don't know um, where the world is going anymore. I don't know where we're going to be in 20 years. I hope it's in a good place. I really, really do. I hope that if I have children, they can live in a world that's tolerable for them, for their skin tone, for whoever they decide to be. But I don't know. Um, I have no idea. And it's because of the fact that that duality of everyone is there's only two in my mind is the only two options it's a black and a white the gray area is just where you go in the meantime <laughs> um but the duality of people is just they can be amazing or they can be horrible it's not it's not fine-tuned on you can't watch behavior of a person and dic- like predict an outcome that's it's a foolish thing to do that's why in our prison system is so messed up because we're watching the behavior of people and putting them into prison and when they come out they can't get jobs but they may have actually changed <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, you know I had an interesting conversation with a black man in Stockton California mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he's uh, 
works in a uh, kind of a rehab kind of a thing that helps, uh, actually helps uh, uh, people coming out of prison. It's mm -hmm. uh, kind of what he's working with the time I talked to him. But uh, he made me aware of something that I, I hadn't, of the, uh, the, the school to prison uh, pipeline. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, he kind of pointed that out to me mm -hmm. and, and made a reference to his young son, who mm -hmm. was like seven or something. He went to the, with the teacher and said, why haven't you contacted me? Said, because they're building the docu you know, documents, because they're mm -hmm. planning future prisons based on... Yeah. And, and they're going to, and they're, where are they going to go? They're going to go yeah. to the black communities. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Because it, it, it's ridiculous in the notion of, so let's put it to you like this. Um, I currently own three companies. I am a assistant general manager at a popular restaurant in the middle of Court Town in Detroit, Michigan. I was a flunky in school. I went to private school, though. They don't report to anyone. <laughs> there was no cell built for me because like, they didn't tell anyone, that guy, he needs to go. Like, people change. They evolve over time. But if you continue to treat a, people, a person that is having behavioral issues like they are having behavioral issues, then it is negative. You don't get a positive outcome out of that. For me personally, it was just when someone decided to say, you are wasting your potential, that made me very upset. So I got my shit together. <laughs> like, it made me upset that someone saw something in me that I didn't see it in myself at the time, but they said there was a, a better route to doing what I was doing. It's like if you're a people person already, you're, you're capable of, um, of being in that, that role. Why are you wasting it? Something as simple as that and mentorship. Um, this, and it touches on a lot of different problems in community nowadays. It touches on the problem of not having fathers in the home. It touches on the problem of even if there is a father in the home, how their fathers dealt with them. So now they're dealing with their children in the same way or similar. It touches on a lot of different things that kids, the youth nowadays is not having the same options that they used to have where when it comes to role models, when it comes to mentorship, when it comes to someone in the position that I want to be in looking at me and saying, if you're hungry enough, just come along with me. I'll show you some, a couple of things to do. I'll give you some boxes to check. It's not the same anymore where as before, you had those pillars of community. You had those mothers, those fathers, those grandmothers, those just people who cared. I'm sure when you grew up in the area that you grew up in, that was a thing. You knew your next-door neighbors. Yeah. That's a, you know, it's a, it's, it's a good point. It's something that I've found, too, is that, uh, as you said, there's a lot of kids that are growing up and uh, actually their grandmothers or their grandparents mm -hmm. are actually raising them yeah. because the parents are uh, dysfunctional yeah. or, they're, you know, or they're separated or mm -hmm. you know, in drugs and whatever. Uh, and that's, mm -hmm. um, that's black and white. Yep, yep. That's, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, rural America. Mm -hmm. got the opioid crisis has taken off and destroyed families. Oh, it's destroyed whole towns. Yeah, whole towns. And those are 
predominantly Caucasian. It was the crack area in the 80s. It's the opioids now, and it's hitting two different... It's, I think that's one of the things that's been the catalyst for so much change and so much uproar is when you look at what was happening at where because black people aren't being victimized by drugs as readily anymore. That's not a thing. I think the people... I had a grandfather that was on crack, so I... I barely touch anything now. <laughs> it's like we were able to see that and self-correct. Um, it is, and now you're seeing even in mainstream, you're not really seeing a lot of African American young artists saying much about drugs. It is the Caucasian artists that are into rap or into whatever else that are saying Advil, uh, not Advil, but like um, Molly's and Zannies or anything like that. It is not primarily Black America anymore. And so I think that's one of the great catalysts that is shining light on our similarities instead of our differences, is that this is, is not something that just affected these people because they were uneducated, this, that, and the other, or they didn't have access to A, B, and C. No, 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 because they went into royal America with drugs that black people didn't want. Let's be honest about it. <laughs> It was in every pharmacy across the country, <laughs> every single pharmacy, and then people got addicted to it, and from that addiction, you birthed your next crack epidemic, and now it's a disease. Black people didn't have that. You didn't. They, we didn't have the grace of this being a disease for us. We were criminals, <laughs> and I personally, I don't take sides with either of it because I understand that times change and people do come to different understandings, but... I think that's where a lot of anger comes from certain communities. If you look at young people nowadays, there's a lot of anger because of the fact that we don't understand a lot of times that everything isn't always a race issue. Things may be, but it's not always. A lot of times that is our first inclination to switch it to a race issue. Dissect it a little bit because if you're dissecting, like you pointed out, that a lot of people are being raised by their um, grandfathers, their grandmothers, they can try to teach them the same things, but those parenting styles don't work anymore. You have a kid that is already feeling neglected from their absentee mother and father, and paired with your parenting styles, and now the fact that you're too old to actually do anything to them or chase after them. Their 30-year-old mom and dad can actually see what they're doing and go to them. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> it's, a, it's very, very, it's, it's dynamic in its problem. It's a very dynamic problem to have that I think America's in right now. It's a dynamic problem. There's so many different catalysts for it. There's pain. There's, of course, pleasure. <laughs> um, there's, of course, ignorance. There's the situation that we are in it's fed by so many different things and I think that people sometimes like to divide and see that as a negative I see division as a positive sometimes um, if you're into prison rehabilitation and making sure when people get out of prison then those things are hit and like those those people are taken care of great. If I'm into making sure food in the inner cities is taken care of, great. We don't need to be on the same agenda to accomplish our goals. But I think what happens now in America is people that are saying, oh, no, no, prison 
perform is the top number one thing that should be on everyone's agenda. <laughs> or they're coming in saying, like Michelle Obama, when she had her um, redoing the food and um, schools, a lot of people jumped on that bandwagon and was like, this is the number one thing that needs to happen. Right? Calm down. <laughs> tackle your issue. Be happy tackling your issue. Let them tackle theirs. Be happy tackling theirs. Don't be upset because they're looking to help out prisoners and you're looking to help out children. <laughs> Makes no sense. <laughs> That's like almost the the um, pulpiteers beating the the clergyman. <laughs> it's like, why? Why are you guys fighting right now? <laughs> it's like you're all trying to help, right? It's been a great conversation. Yeah. Lots Thank of, you. Lots of good stuff. A lot of good stuff here. So, uh, all right. Anything else you want to add before I shut this off? No, I think, no. Not of the stuff that we talked about it. I think just who America is and where we're going. It's interesting. Can't wait to see. <laughs> yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I, I, this has been a good trip to come to Detroit. Mm-hmm. And, um, Hopefully uh, you come back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this episode of Dialogue from an American Mosaic. If you enjoyed this podcast, uh, please subscribe. Your uh, support is appreciated.